and uh, Exodus chapter 20. What we're going to do, uh, just so it doesn't surprise you, as we go, we're going to continue to build, not only uh, kids knowing the commandments, but we're going to read the whole Ten Commandments as we go. So we'll just keep adding to the passage each week. Uh, so we'll begin with verse 1 this week again, I'm going to go through verse 6. So this is Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Let's give it our attention. The Lord spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing, showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I ask you genuinely, I desire to be a blessing to them. I pray that you grant me that desire. I pray that they desire to receive your word. That's one of the reasons they're here. I pray they would. They would be good soil, that you would plow up the soil, that the seeds would make it down and germinate. Lord, we ask this for your glory, by the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we all love customization, don't we? Let me illustrate this for you. About 30 years ago, my family got our first desktop computer. It was glorious. It had Windows 3.1. I don't know if anyone remembers that. It was the very first time you had like movable windows on your screen. It was great. You couldn't customize anything and we loved it. But then they added this new feature. Kids, I don't know if you imagine this. You can put like your own family picture on the background. You put any picture you want. Isn't that a great improvement? They did that somewhere along the way. Well, we, can, we love customizing all kinds of things. I don't know if you've been to Starbucks recently or used the app. Do you know how many options there are? There's like oat milk and almond milk. There's like, you could do hundreds of different ways to combine things to make your Starbucks. And then fast food, you can get your burger just the way you want. The new update for the iPhone, you can actually customize your home screen, right? your lock screen, what that experience is like. Um, let's see what else. Did you know that people used to just listen to the radio and they were helpless? Like someone else picked every song that they listened to. They had no control over any of it. Crazy, huh? Now we have playlists. And Netflix, it learns what you like, so it only puts movies in front of you they think you actually want to watch. Isn't it great? We live an experience where we can customize everything to our likes and dislikes. This morning we look at the second commandment. We discover to our surprise that God's not like that. That he actually says, I want you to worship me in this way. It just goes cross-grained to everything else we experience. Every other upgrade gives us more control. That we can customize our experience to our likes and dislikes. That's where we're going this morning. Look at page 7. You see the outline. It says, uh, five points. Uh, Worship that is forbidden. Worshiping by images. Worship that's required. As God instructed, then we jump back to what's forbidden. As we desire three reasons from the passage, and then the motivation for worship, which is love. Let's begin with that first one. Worship that is forbidden by images. Let me make a distinction between the first and the second commandment. For a long time, I was confused by these, so let me explain it. The first commandment, we looked at this last week, is who you should worship. 
okay? Who should be your God? You shouldn't worship your job, how you look, all kind of other things. He is to be the only God, who you should worship. This week is the second commandment. It is how you should worship, who you should worship, how you should worship, okay? So this week is worshiping the right God the right way. Okay, now I know it's confusing because it says don't carve images, and so we think, okay, my idols are my job, how I look. But don't confuse those. It's which, who is your God, who are you going to worship, and then how you worship. This is very important. Look at verse 4. Let's dig into the text. It says, you shall make for yourself, you shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything that's in the heaven above or that's on the earth beneath or that's the water under the earth. That pretty much covers it all. What's interesting about this verse is it sounds like it's anti-art, doesn't it? I mean, didn't that just rule out all sculpture, all painting, all drawing? So it looks like on the surface that if you don't make any carved image of anything, anywhere, it sounds like anti-art, but it's not. So let's, let's go on and see what is he actually talking about. Beginning of verse 5. So verse 4 said you shall not make. Verse 5 says you shall not bow down to them and serve them. We say, oh, oh, you aren't talking about art. You're talking about art for worship, sculpture for worship. That's the problem. Do you see? So it's not, nothing wrong with, with um, sculpture, artwork, or painting, or any of that stuff, right? But it's when it's for the purpose of worshiping. Our worship is to be imageless. God desires to be worshiped imageless. No, no, this is different, right? They're just coming out of Egypt. They had lots of images, right? Lots of, of idols. He says, no, my worship is to be imageless. Those three verbs are important. Make, bow down, and serve. You see them in verse four and five. He's talking about worship. We're not to make anything, any um, thing to look at for the purpose of worship. Now, it, what's interesting about this is God made something in his image. Anyone know what he made in his image? You got it. It's us. Yeah, we're made in God's image, but we aren't to worship us. So there is something in the world that's in the image of God. The closest representation we have is humans. We aren't even to worship them. But he says, in my worship, don't carve things to worship. Um, Some of you might have heard of Westminster Confession of Faith. They also wrote a larger and shorter catechism. This was written a few years ago in 1647. Ever since then, it's been... Um, the theological foundation for lots of churches. It is for our whole denomination, for the PCA. Um, it is the, um, the core of what we believe. And it's, it's all coming out of Scripture, right? This, it's beneath Scripture, but it's an understanding, an orderly understanding of what Scripture says. Five years. You can't imagine this. Dedicated pastors for five years wrote this document. So anyway, so we're going to look at that some. Um, that guide that, was, that I told you to hold on to, pull it back out right now. Um, look at lesson three. Hopefully there was one near you. If not, I'm sorry, we ran out. But for everyone that had one in your row, turn it and you'll see uh, that it says, uh, what is forbidden? This is either lesson three or four. What is forbidden in the second commandment? It says, the second commandment forbids the worshiping of God by images or any other way not appointed in his word. So two things there. We're gonna talk about the first one now, which is by images, what does it mean to worship God by images? If you've had any exposure to the Catholic Church, you might have some idea of this. There's lots of crucifix, right? And this is, you know, why don't we have one behind me? Why is there no big cross hanging with Jesus hanging on it? Because of the second commandment, right? And so to, to their credit, to the Catholics, 
it's possible that not all Catholics are breaking the second commandment, but if you kneel Sunday after Sunday in front of a big Jesus, eventually the chances are you're probably going to break the second commandment. So there's lots of images. You've been at a Catholic home. They have a painting of Jesus in most Catholic homes. Right? There's images to be a part of, of your prayers and of your worship. Other churches do this too. Jesus said, I mean, God said, do not worship me by images. Did you know actually the Catholics um, order their commandments differently? Did you know that? They actually combine one and two. One and two is actually one commandment in their understanding. So it's have no other gods before me and don't make any idols. Well, see, you can see the problem with that if they think the whole thing is talking about don't have other gods rather than how you worship. And so that's where they get offline. They actually, so they still have 10. They, don't, they aren't nine commandments. They've split 10 in half. So they actually split that into interesting little fun fact for you, how they number their commandments. So we are not to worship God by images. This is probably not as much of a temptation as what we're going to get to in a minute. Um, there's something sweeping America by storm, uh, which is another problem related to the same commandment. So hold that thought. Um, let's look at the positive for a second. We'll come back to what's forbidden. Okay, in order to understand that, it would help to look at the positive. So secondly, worship that is required. Well, how does God require that we worship? As God instructed. It's important to understand that every negative commandment, there's a, implied a positive. Let me illustrate this. If your mom says, be kind to your brother. And I'm sorry, I got it wrong. I already told you the answer. Okay, if your, mo- <laughs> if your mom says to you, don't be mean to your brother, what's implied by that? Don't be mean to your brother. What's implied is be kind to your brother, right? He doesn't just say ignore him, right? I obeyed your command. I didn't, I wasn't mean to my sister. I just, I, I just ignore him. Apparently it didn't exist. Well, no, implied in that is a positive. God's the same way. Every time he gives a negative command, says don't do this, implied in it is a positive. This is true in this. So what's the positive command of this? Many of the, the 10 commandments are negative. The catechism does great at this. If you still have that thing handy, um, look at, uh, this is question 50. It'll either be less than three or four. Um, what is required in the second commandment? The second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such worship, all such religious worship and ordinances as God has appointed in his word. So it says God has appointed in his word how to worship him, and you need to do all of it. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Okay, that's what he's saying. Um, a, a good cross-reference for this is Deuteronomy 12.32. Um, so this in the law, God's giving lots of rules, and he says this. Everything I command you, you shall be careful to do it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Don't add to it and don't take away from it. You might remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I talked about Christmas wish list and how great they are. You remember that? Christmas wish list. They're great. And uh, you just, you know, it takes all the guesswork out. You know what your wife wants, you just buy it off the list and she's delighted. It's a great idea, right? And so God, similarly, he's given us, he's told us, it's no secret. It's no secret what God wants. He says, here is how I want you to worship me. And so our job is, we just take the wish list and say, okay, I probably should do these things. I know he'll be delighted. He told me how he wants to be worshiped. This is commonly called the regulative principle of worship. There's a big term for you. Regulative principle of worship. What this means is, is that in his word, God has told us how to worship him. And we're to do nothing more than that or less than that. We're supposed to follow instructions. He cares about how he's worshiped. 
And so we are to obey. Now, naturally, our individualistic hearts bristle against this. What do you mean? He's going to require how we, what right does he have? I don't want to do that. I want to have some creativity here in how I do this. I don't know if you've ever been in a courtroom. You don't have to raise your hand if you've ever been in a courtroom. You may be seen on TV. How does that work? Is there like rules about when you can speak and what happens? Please rise as the, the honorable judge so and so. Everyone stands up as he comes into the room. You actually pay someone who says, you don't open your mouth until I tell you. Or you're going to get us both in trouble. You say, oh, yes, sir. Right? You have a lawyer there with you. And you, you, you only speak, you don't just say, um, excuse me, judge, I didn't do it. Can I leave now? No, it's all very orderly. He has complete control over the whole environment, right? And we, we expect this, his courtroom, he can, he can make the rules, right? How much more can God do that? Does God have a right to say, hey, this is my world, you're my people. I actually care about how I'm worshiped. It's nearly impossible to read the second commandment and not see God cares about how he's worshipped. He cares about how he's worshipped. So I just want to take a quick survey of the Bible just to continue to prove this point. I'm indebted to Derek Thomas, who's one of my seminary professors, a great Bible theologian, who kind of put this together. Okay, so this is just a quick, quick survey of Scripture of about this, answering this very question of does God care about how he's worshipped? Okay, so in the Old Testament, there's this constant stipulation in the book of Exodus um, as they're building the tabernacle. Lots of detailed instructions. And he keeps saying this, after the pattern that I've shown you, after the pattern I've shown you, do it just like I showed you. Follow my instructions. Remember Cain, jumping back all the way to Genesis. Kids, you remember Cain and Abel? Did God accept both of their offerings? No. Come on. One brought some good stuff from, he was a farmer, brought stuff from the field, another brought animal sacrifice. God did not accept Cain's offering, whether it was his heart or the fact that he didn't follow instructions. We don't know. But it was not accepted. God cared. He didn't just say, oh, that's great, Cain. I'm just, it's the thought that counts. I'm glad you brought something for me. No, he didn't. God rejected it. As we're looking right now, the first and second commandment, we'll look at this again later, the golden calf. The golden calf. They tried to worship with a big golden calf. Was God pleased with that? Uh Uh-uh. Not pleased with that. They did it by their own values and taste. They just come out of Egypt. And they said, hey, we need something. We need something to look at. So he said, hey, Aaron said, just give me all your gold. I'll make a big golden calf out of it for you. Not approved. Here's a wild story. You're going to read this this week. Fathers, read it with your kids. Leviticus 10, it's in that little guide. Nahab and Abihu. Um, spoiler alert, it did not turn out well for them. They offered strange fire. God struck them dead. He cares about how he's worshipped. You can't just bring any strange fire into his, into his temple. I'll let you read that and talk about it at home. Saul comes with an unprescribed worship and sacrifice. God rejects it and says, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Jesus rejected the Pharisaical worship. He said, you're worshiping according to the tradition of the elders. This isn't what God said. This is what the elders said. I hope you see this pattern. This is Old and New Testament. Just God often rejected sacrifices and worship that was not accord to his word. And let me read to you from Westminster Confession of Faith. This is not, this is not a new idea. This is from the 1600s. Um, chapter 21, 
uh, part one, it says, but the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself. And so limited, that's an important word, limited to his own revealed will. He may not be worshiped according to the imaginations and devices of men or the suggestions of Satan or any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. Any way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. So it naturally raises a question, well, what does God require? What does God require in his word of how he is to be worshiped? Here's a list. Reading the Bible. I know that doesn't surprise you. Reading the Bible, 1 Timothy 4.13. Preaching the Bible. That's what we're doing right here. 2 Timothy 4.2. Singing the Bible. That's what Anna Lee led us in a little while ago. Ephesians 5.19. Colossians 3.16. So we sing both whether it's scripture or scripture songs written about Jesus and about from scripture. So we read the Bible, pray the, or, um, preach the Bible, sing the Bible, and then we pray the Bible. Matthew 21, 13. And then we see the Bible in the sacraments. The, the communion, right, the Lord's Supper, is a visible representation of the Bible. Or you see it in baptism, we see it. A few others that are noted, oaths, vows, vows when you become a member, solemn fast, thanksgiving. So if, if you want to read about this more, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 21. It lays this out. Scripture has given us ample instruction on how he is to be worshiped. Now, you might be listening to this and say, hey, that's fine. I'm not setting up an order of worship for a church. Why is this relevant to me? Fair question. It's extremely relevant to us as a church plant. We had to create this thing, right? We started with a blank sheet of paper and made it your bulletin, right? So that, obviously, this applies to us. It applies to any of you that are college students or kids. You will one day grow up, and you're going to have to choose your own church, okay? So when you're choosing a church, God actually said how he wants to be worshiped. And so it'd be good for you to pay attention to that and then go to a church that actually followed those instructions and didn't make up their own thing and say, hey, we're going to worship, okay? So it's practical to you guys in that. But there's another way it's practical to all of us. Do you know what that is? Is that um, in the, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes the Ten Commandments and says, you've heard it said, <clears throat> uh, don't commit murder. But if you're angry in your heart, you've committed murder, right? So what that means is for all of you, we set up a bulletin. I think it, it, it accords, don't you see what, from what I, the list I just said, don't you see that's basically our service, right? We read the word, we preach the word, we sing the word, we pray the word. That's about all we got right there. It's nothing too exciting or wild, right? It's just a Bible and a bunch of reforms. <clears throat> okay, but you know, your part, what's your part in it? Well, you got to be here, right? So you're here, you're yet physically here. What's the other part? It's your heart, right? Just like God, Jesus said about the commandments, You can obey on the outside, you got here physically, and we can disobey in our hearts. A really important part of the second commandment is in our hearts. I'll I'll, I'll share honestly, this is going to come up next week. Brandon's going to preach the third commandment, but it talks about taking the Lord's name in vain. I've been convicted through the years that when I sing and I'm daydreaming about whatever's coming next, I'm breaking the third commandment, right? So part of my worship, what's required in the second commandment for you to, to worship according to his word is in your heart. Do you see how that applies to you? that what you do during worship in your heart, right now, if right now you're planning your lunch menu, right, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing, right? God hears all your thoughts. That's part of your worship is to sit attentively under the word, to pray. You're not daydreaming when Brandon prays, right? You're praying with him 
When we're singing, when Annalise, you're actually, we're singing together. Do you, do you follow this? This is what it means to worship. Now, something to note is, did, did it say how long we had to, how much scripture had to read? No, it doesn't say that. How long the prayers have to be? How many songs we sing? What instruments? Jeez, lots of people fight about that. Should we just have an organ? Should we just have a piano, a guitar, drums? It doesn't say. African drums? You know, there's lots of freedom, right? Africans and people all around the world, Asians, can do the regulative principle of worship in their own context, with their own instruments, right? But it's those core things. We preach the word, we sing the word, we pray the word, we read the word. Now, some of you might be wishing that we would replace a few things, maybe another video or two, right? So that brings us to the next point. Back to what's forbidden. As we desire. Remember, as we started, we talked about our love of customization. Have it your way. And you can. Everywhere but worship. Okay. So as we desire. Hope the mic doesn't go out. All right. What would happen if a church jettisoned the regulative principle of worship? What would happen if a church... You don't have to imagine this. You can see it. It's all across America. They've jettisoned the regulative principle of worship. There is all kind of things on stages happening in churches. It's true. All kind of stuff. Because people are creative. We're really creative. And so we've introduced all kind of things into worship. Many people gather and think about how can we make a service that will entertain people for an hour. As you know, that is not our goal. If you don't love Jesus and his word, you're going to get really bored here. It's true. We just read the Bible. We preach the word, pray the word, we sing the word. Right? And so if you, if you throw aside the regular principle of worship, you can come with all kinds of creative ideas. It binds us. It puts boundaries on us. Right? It puts boundaries on us and you guys. And so kids, as you grow up, I implore you, choose a church that does these same things. It doesn't have to look like us, dress like us, sound like us, but it should include these same things. They should read the word, preach the word, sing the word, pray the word. It is what God requires. It is what he expects. So not as you desire. Again, look there if you have that, that little devotional guide. What is forbidden in the second commandment? We talked about half of it. The second commandment forbids the worshiping of God by images. We talked about that. Or any other way not appointed in his word. Look at the, our passage again. You shall not make for yourself a carved image of any likeness of anything in the heaven above, earth beneath, waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them and serve them. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, I got it. I see the no images part. You know, but Nathan, I'm not with you. I don't see how that says, don't make images, don't carve things, that that's saying that God has determined how he is to be worshiped. Okay, if, that, if you're asking a question in your head, I'd like to answer that question right now. <clears throat> By illustration. All right, if someone says to you, I don't want any clothes for Christmas, no clothes, the natural response is, what do you want? If, if you're going to tell me what you don't want, what do you want? If a, if a bride says, hey, at my wedding, I actually went to a wedding like this. They said, everybody, um, I want you to wear these certain, this certain palette of colors. Okay. So you immediately know that that person cares about that. If they're going to tell you, don't do something, don't give me clothes, you say, they care about, I can't just give them any gift. Does that make sense? If the judge says, these are the rules, you can't do these, this, this, you immediately know that they care about it. So when God says, in my worship, don't do X, 
you know he cares about his worship. Whatever topic we're talking about, he cares about it. This must be important to him. If he's going to say, you can't worship me through images, say, oh, you care about that. And you can't look at the second commandment in isolation from the rest of scripture. You have all these other scriptures that say, here's how you are to worship me. I want the word to be read. You have to do, you can't add, a, add to it, take away from it. And so what the second commandment has been understood this way ever since the 1600s and all the way back since it was given to us. What God is saying in the second commandment is worship the right God in the right way. In the right way. Again, Deuteronomy 12.32, everything I've commanded you, you shall carefully do them. You shall not add to it or take away. Now, if you're serving a make-believe God, you can shape it however you want. Because who cares? He's make-believe. Right? He's not going to care. I've used this illustration before. I'll use it again because I like it a lot. On people's birthdays, whose preferences get priorities? I hope it's the person having the birthday, right? We choose the meals based on what they like. Not what we like, because it's their birthday. Anniversaries, right? We choose what our spouse is important to them. Their priorities are our priorities. Their preferences are our priorities. So you do not serve a make-believe God. Your God has priorities and preferences. And so those should be your preferences and your priorities, just like you do with anniversary and just like you do with birthdays. God's priorities should matter to us. And they aren't just preferences, right? They're commands. I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal the thunder, but it'll just, it'll grease the skids. Um, families, when you look this week at that, those um, devotions, um, there's a great illustration there. You guys can talk more about it at home. It is of kids drawing a picture for their parents. Isn't that sweet? Drawing a picture for their parents all over the walls. <laughs> Bad idea. And so is mom pleased with that? Big picture for mom drawn all over the walls. You should be nodding no right now. I know, I know your parents. The answer is no. But mom, I drew it for you. Is that going to work? Nope. No, she'd say, I'd rather you obey me than draw me a pretty picture. Markers stay on paper, right? There's, there's markers back there, right? You aren't drawing all over the table, hopefully not kids, right? That there's a place for it. The same with God. God has said, it's not just, what, I have good intentions. You go to, there's churches and say, hey, but they are so sincere. You can be sincerely wrong, right? You can be, your heart can be in the right place, but if you aren't doing it the way that God commanded you to do it, it's just like markers all over the walls. Nice pictures, been much better on the piece of paper, right? So also with God. You can talk about that this week. It's in the devotional guide. Another application of this is I think God is like this. Many people say that. I think, I think God is like this. I don't like that part, right? They're creating God. They're creating their own God in their image. They're worshiping uh, not the real God, but some form of him. There's three reasons. Let's look briefly in our text. Three reasons. It said, this is verse five, the second part of it. It says, you shall not bow down to them. You shall not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. All right, in those few words are three reasons. I, the Lord, is Lord in all caps, it is. It means Yahweh. Yahweh. It is the personal name for God. It means God means business when he says Yahweh. This is the God of Israel. He's the God who created everything. He's a sovereign God. He has the right to say how he is to be worshipped. That's the first reason. Very much like the judge. The judge has the right. It's his courtroom to dictate when he gets spoken to and how. Then it says, your God. 
He's not just the Lord. He's your God. Your God. I care about my wife, and so I want to delight her. And what delights her? It matters to me. Because and she, I belong to her. So also you belong to God. God's saying, I am your God. Okay, he's the Lord, big Lord. He's also your God, second. Then the third, what's the third reason? Look at the verse. What's the third reason? I'm a jealous God. Zeal and jealousy wrapped up in one. We've gotten much mileage out of the marriage analogy with the first commandment. It continues here. This is a slightly crass analogy, but it makes the point. I guarantee your spouse does not want you carving a big statue of them and then making out with that statue all the time. They would rather you actually interact with them. So also God says, I don't want you making an image of me and worshiping that image. I am an imageless God. He has not appeared as an image on the mountain. And yet even he did in his son, he said, don't, don't worship that. That's why we don't have big Jesuses back here. Because we are a word. He says to worship by the word, right? We preach the word, sing the word, read the word. It's all about the word. They're coming out of Egypt and that's what Egypt did. But it goes on. Look at the strong language after that. I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Now this is interesting. On the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. Now hate's a strong word. Do you mean that worshiping God just however you want is actually equated to hate? Isn't that what the verse is equating it to? I mean, what else here is to be hated? He's saying, if you just do it however you want, that's like hating me. When God says, I care, and then we say, I'll just do it however I want. Now, do you feel like this is unjust to punish to the third and the fourth generation? Many feel like it is. For this to make any sense to you, you have to understand, from a big term, it's called federal headship. So Adam, remember Adam and Eve? So Adam was our federal head. He represented all of us. And so when he sinned, he plummeted all of humanity into sin. All of humanity into sin. And so he represented all of us. We have this in our government. When they make good decisions, we're blessed. When they make bad decisions, we reap the consequences, right? They represent, we elected them to represent us. So also, we have representatives. And so fathers, you are the representative for your family. God has interacted with families as families through all of history. You have a big role. Whether you know it or not, so I want to tell you. You have a big role. And so it says, third or fourth generation, kids count with me. You're going to need your hand again, okay? Your first generation, Second generation would be your kids. Third generation is who? Your grandkids. Fourth generation would be your great-grandkids. This is a, they all lived in, you know, for most of history, families lived in one house. This is about as long as any family would live. You're not going to really see anyone past your grandkids or your great-grandkids. It's unlikely to get past that. And so the consequences are going from generation to generation. Now, don't misunderstand, fathers. What I'm not saying is that God would punish your innocent children for your sins. He won't punish your innocent children for your sins. He says this in Ezekiel. He says, The soul who sins shall die. The son will not suffer for the iniquity of the father. But here's the thing. Philip Ryken says this well. It says, It's not only the fathers who hate God, but also their children. People who struggle to see the fairness of this command usually assume that although the father is guilty, his children are innocent. But the children hate God as much as their father. And you can understand based on how they're raised. 
Right? They're all in the same house. They're being raised by a father who hates God. Therefore, it's fair for God to punish both the fathers and the son. Multiple generations. That sounds pretty bad. But thankfully, it's not the end of our passage. There's more. Fifth and finally, briefly, love is our motivation. Look at the next verse. So he will judge those the third and fourth generation. We've got to take this seriously, fathers. But then it says, but showing steadfast love. There's that word from the beginning, beginning of our service today. Steadfast love, covenant faithfulness to thousands, not just three or four. That basically means forever. A thousand generations, a thousand times 30, that's a long time. A thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. This is so important because if you look at the second commandment as just this uh, uh, boundaries for lifeless, dutiful obligation, that's not what we're talking about here. Those who love me. Jesus said it well. Those who love me are those who have my commands and obey them. The Pharisees obeyed every command to a T, but their hearts were far from God. Brothers and sisters, I hope your hearts are not far from God. What God requires in worship is hearts that are full of love that overflow in singing and praying and sitting under the word preached because you love God. Jesus said it well, to worship in spirit and in truth. Are the only two options heartless, dutiful obedience or passionate disobedience? Is that our only two options? Heartless obedience or well-meaning disobedience. I mean, is it only kids drawing on the wall? No, you actually, kids, you can draw on the, there's paper right there. Draw on the paper, okay, kids? So we can actually worship God from love in the way that he requires. You don't have to color outside the lines to love Jesus, right? As far as our worship goes. Our passionate love should drive us to passionately worship him as he requires. This is so important. So I hope you understand as we look at this, yes, this should be like a mirror. Yes, sometimes my worship equates to hatred for God. Now tell me that's not a strong statement. Isn't that what the passage says? That if I, it says, don't, don't do it your own way. Those who hate me will be judged. Remember, we've said scripture is a mirror. We bring pathetic worship to God so often. Sometimes we aren't even here. And then when we're here, sometimes we still aren't here. Right? And so that is what brings us to the cross, right? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross because even when I try to worship Jesus, I still do it pathetically. It's a mirror. The law should help us see. God requires how we worship him and we don't live up to it. But then it's also a guide, a map. Part of why this sermon should be alarming to you is because I know you love Jesus. You really want, you genuinely, I know many of you, you genuinely have a desire to worship him as he requires. And so it's a map that we would grow as a congregation. Sure, we we have an order of worship, but that's not the finish line, is it? It's just the beginning, that we would more earnestly sing. God would move in our hearts and that we would help our children. You're training your children how to worship. I see many kids here, that's great. You're watching your parents worship and that you would learn that you too would worship God in spirit and in truth. In my devotion, as we conclude, I'm reading through Hebrews right now. And the end of chapter 12 was so helpful. It said, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's dangerous, but he loves us. Remember Aslan, if anyone's seen Chronicles of Narnia? He's not safe, but he's good. So he said about the lion. 
You serve a powerful, amazing God. If we could see God and how amazing it was, we'd fall down on our face and we'd say, well, I'll worship however you want. You just tell me. You are God. Oh, that I pray that for us, that you would encounter Jesus. You would encounter God, who is a consuming fire. And as you do, it won't be a big stretch to want to worship him as he commands. It will be our delight. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help me worship you in spirit and in truth. You'd help us all worship you. I pray that kids would grow up. And when I go to just some church that's way more entertaining than us, but it's long thrown aside the regular principle of worship, but they would worship you as you require. They would delight to please you. They would see there really is a God who is a consuming fire. God, help us see you and understand you and help us even now as we respond by singing. Lord, help us mean the words that we sing. May we all grow as a church as we obey this command. You said don't carve images and many other things about how you are to be worshiped. Lord, it is our genuine desire. Please help us in our weakness. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.